we're beginning a sermon uh, teaching series on the life of Joseph. Uh, that's not Joe Wallace now I'm talking about, but Joseph in the Bible. And uh, uh, it's outlined in Genesis 37 through 50. Um, Joseph was a man of great uh, integrity. He was a man of great character who trusted unquestioningly uh, uh, in God's providence. And we'll see that as we go through the series. Uh, and he did that even when it must have seemed to him that God had made a mistake uh, or had forgotten him. He still trusted God. The first 11 chapters of Genesis, of course, concern four great events. You know what they are. Creation, the fall, the flood, and the Tower of Babel. And then starting in Genesis chapter 12, uh, Joseph is one of the big four, if I can call them that, the big four of the Hebrew patriarchs uh, in the book of Genesis. The, the others are his great-grandfather, Abraham, uh, his grandfather, Isaac, and then his father, Jacob. And Joseph's life demonstrates, really, uh, the invisible hand of God. Uh, and in the 50 chapters in, in Genesis, uh, with all its different stories and, and all of its events, it might surprise you to know uh, that a quarter of the book of Genesis is reserved for the story of Joseph. A quarter of the book of Genesis. In fact, uh, it's more space than is even devoted to Abraham, uh, the father of the faith. Joseph has given more prominence in the number of uh, chapters that are devoted to his life. And through this window in Scripture, this window into Joseph's life, we can, we can clearly see, even if he considered that his life was unscripted, uh, that the providence of God is at work in him and, and through him all the time. And although Joseph was an ordinary young man, God sustained him through some extraordinary experiences in his life. And in this respect, we could say that he was not your average Joe. Uh, he, was, he was an extraordinary, really, young man in many ways. The word providence is not a word you hear very often these days, maybe, but it comes from the Latin uh, providentia, with pro meaning before and, uh, or ahead of time, and videntia meaning to see, from which we get the word video as well. But you put them together and you have seeing ahead of time. Uh, and that's what God does. Our lives, your life and my life, are, are not unscripted to him. Uh, he sees all the events of life ahead of time. And while we're great at studying and understanding history, our hindsight is usually 2020. We're, we're, uh, uh, we're lousy at seeing the future. We have no clue as to what will happen from one minute uh, to the next. But God in his providence is continually, constantly, confidently at work in our future. Providing good things for his people. And his loving care is behind everything that we experience. Even if we can't see it or we can't understand it at the time. That's what the providence of God is all about. And God's providence is ultimately for our good. More than anything that may seem to overtake us or overwhelm us. And that's why the story of Joseph has been called the Old Testament version of Romans 8 and 28. We know that all things, uh, God works for the good of those who love him. 
who have been called according to his purpose. And in this series, just like Joseph, I want us to understand perhaps more than any other uh, time before that there's no accident, there's no chance or happenstance in our experience. It might seem like that, but in God's providence, it's not. Our lives are safe in the hands of a sovereign God who is continuously directing human affairs and who is able to use even the most difficult, uh, disheartening, even diabolical things that, that, that maybe we experience in life to accomplish his sovereign and divine will. And Joseph's life goes toe-to-toe, if you like, against a commonly accepted contemporary lie that sometimes even Christians buy into, and that's the victim mentality. As we'll see over the next few weeks, uh, we'll be back tonight and then over succeeding Sunday mornings, uh, Joseph never should have made it. And he wonderfully reminds us that even amongst family ties that bind, or sometimes family ties that make us gag, (laughs) and other less favorable experiences, God is still God, and his plans for us can never be frustrated. There's a lovely hymn in the Salvation Army hymnal that I, I came to love over the years. You probably don't know it. You've probably never heard of it, but it says this. If crosses come... If it should cost me dearly to be the servant of my servant Lord. If darkness falls around the path of duty and men despise the saviour I've adorned. If doors should close then other doors will open. The word of God can uh, never be contained. His love, listen, his love cannot be finally frustrated by narrow minds or prison bars restrained. And the chorus goes on to say, I'll not turn back, whatever it may cost. Uh, It's it's a trust in the complete sovereignty and providence of God, come what may. And that's the life that we're called to. That's the life that we're called to. And how often we fall victim to feeling that what happened to us shouldn't have happened to us. And, 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 And we become miserable and we start a pity party all about ourselves, not realizing that behind everything, God is working all things together for our good. And so as we turn to Genesis 37, where Joseph's story begins, let me just caution you, as I even cautioned myself as I was preparing this, that there's a danger um, that the familiarity with Bible stories like these can bring a certain blind spot to our hearts. We think we know it all, we've heard it all, we know the story of Joseph, and a blind spot A blind spot begins to appear. It can prevent us from seeing and and applying the spiritual truths of Joseph's life uh, to our lives. Because, you know, Joseph's story can be really read on three levels. If we simply read it as a piece of literature, a story, we'll, we'll only see the fascinating story of a doting father, a pampered son, and some jealous brothers and an international food crisis. That's all we'll we'll see. If we look deeper, however, we'll see that the same story has some profound uh, theological implications where God is evident, ruling and overruling uh, the decisions that people make, maturing a young spiritual hero, saving a family that didn't deserve saving, and ultimately remaining faithful to promises he had made three generations before to create a nation through which he would bless the world. And for you and I as believers... Joseph is also one of the richest uh, uh, foreshadowings or types of the Lord Jesus Christ to be found anywhere in the Old Testament. 
And so as we go through these, these weeks, I, I don't want you to just apply these truths to yourself, but I also want you to see the lovely Lord Jesus in the midst of Joseph's life and to see the great implications in Joseph's life that point towards uh, his life. So let's just read the first few verses. We're going to be looking at chapter 37 this morning and then tonight, so I'm just going to read the first 11 verses, if you have it open. Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. This is the account of Jacob. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending his flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives, and he brought their father a bad report about them. Now, Israel loved Joseph, that's Jacob, of course, given the new name, Israel, loved Joseph more than his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age, and he made a richly ornamented robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him, that is to Joseph. And Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. And his brothers said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you continually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. Then he had another dream and he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream and this time the sun and the moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. And when he told his father, as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, What is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. And we'll just end the reading there. This morning I want to just introduce you, really, an introduction to the life of Joseph. We'll get into the details as we go through these weeks, and believe me, as the old saying has it, the devil is in the details for sure. But today I want to look beyond Joseph as well to his God because the same God that brought Joseph through many uh, dangers, toils and snares is still working behind the scenes of your life and, and my life. Uh, but that all being said, here, here's Joseph's story in one short paragraph. He was the favorite son of his father Jacob. When he enters the stage of biblical history, he's 17 years old, he's a teenager. Because his brothers hated him, they betrayed him. He was sold as a slave, taken into Egypt. His is the, the, the gripping tale of attempted seduction by a wife with a wandering eye. The sad saga of false accusation and unjust imprisonment. Long, lonely nights spent in prison. His is the story of the unlikely journey he took from the prison uh, to the palace. And how he put his brothers to the test. And how in the end, it all came out okay because as he said to his brothers who had betrayed him in Genesis 50 and verse 20, you meant it for evil against me, but God meant it for good. And thus, preserving the line, if you like, of promise that had begun with his great-grandfather, Abraham. Now through all this, and we'll get into the details of all of that story as we go through the series, but through all this, at no point... Listen, at no point did Joseph ever take his eyes off God. Adversity didn't harden him. Prosperity didn't ruin him. Temptation didn't destroy him. Imprisonment didn't embitter him. And promotion, which eventually came, uh, didn't change him. But even this brief summary only hints at the drama that surrounded his life through the years. Because although Joseph was God's man, he didn't have life easy. He 
And here are some of the things that his story teaches us. Uh, and, and some of these things we might explore in the coming weeks. Trusting God when you're in the pit of despair. How to deal with sexual temptation. How to redeem a painful past. What to do while you're waiting on God. How to see God's hand in all things. How to make wise plans. How God awakens a guilty conscience. The marks of true repentance. How to live for God in a pagan culture. Overcoming lingering bitterness. And finally, how to die well. Those are some of the lessons really in Joseph's, in Joseph's life. You know, this morning we have an advantage that Joseph didn't have. We know how the story ends, don't we? But the problem is that even when we know the end of the story, we may forget how unexpected it all was. How much did Joseph know about his future when he was a teenager tending the flocks with his brothers? How much did he know? Zero. Nothing. Nada. How much did he know about his future when he was thrown into a pit? Nothing. Nothing at all. How much did he know about what was going to happen when he was a rising star in Potiphar's house? Same answer. He had no idea. How much did he know when Potiphar's wife falsely accused him of rape? He only knew that he was innocent of the charge. How much did he know when he was languishing in an Egyptian prison? He had no clue what was going to happen. And how much did he know about God's purposes when he was elevated to being the prime minister of Egypt? He didn't even see that coming. So let me ask you this morning. How much do you know for certain about what will happen to you in the coming week? How much of this coming week is uncertain? You have your plans, of course, I'm sure. But those could change in, a, in an instant. You maybe have work to go to or classes to attend. You maybe have calls to make, people to see, appointments to keep, ideas to discuss, maybe decisions that you have to make. But listen, all of that is contingent on circumstances far beyond your control. Life is short and fragile and uncertain and none of us knows what tomorrow may bring but as Corrie ten Boom, the great Dutch uh, uh, writer who was in a Nazi prison camp and survived it has well said never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. Amen. You see our ultimate happiness should never be at the mercy of random circumstances good, bad or indifferent. Our ultimate happiness, or, or, or I should say our ultimate joy and contentment, is based on what God has purposed for us in Christ. God has ordained that in the midst of loss, in the midst of sickness, in the midst even of death and grief and hurt and misunderstanding, and any other negative things that occur in the lives of those that he loves, he will use them in his time to bring about something infinitely better to be our permanent inheritance beginning in this life and being consummated in glory eventually. And Joseph's story gives us a, a foretaste, if you like, of that glory. And Francis Ridley Havergal, who has written many, many hymns, could have been explaining Joseph's life and his theology of life as a child of the one true God when she wrote these words. Maybe you know the hymn. Every joy or trial falleth from above, traced upon our dial, by the Son of Love, we may trust him fully, all for us to do. Those who trust him wholly, find him wholly true. Stayed upon Jehovah, hearts are fully blessed, finding he has promised perfect peace 
and rest. You know, in the last scene of his story, and we'll come to it in more detail, Joseph's reunion with his brothers, he puts them at ease with his God-centered theology that overruled everything that had happened to him. As I've said, Genesis 50 and 20, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. And two of the greatest words in the Bible are those, but God, but God. The eye doctor may tell us that 2020 vision is the standard for good eyesight. You know, to see life as it should be seen with our natural eyes, 2020 vision. But the life of Joseph convinces me that God, as God's people, we need to have 50-20 vision to see every joy or trial correctly. That's Genesis 50-20. And this enables the believer to see that even when circumstances seem to come against us, and some of us have it worse than others, it seems like it never stops. It's one thing after another. But to realize that God is over all, and he has ordained good things to come from whatever is against us. Satan isn't in charge. Sin and evil aren't in charge. Random chance isn't in charge. God is. And Joseph's life proclaims that God alone will be glorified. I don't know if some of you uh, have read, it came out in 1981, a bestseller called When Bad Things Happen to Good People. Anyone here ever read that? When Bad Things Happen to Good People? A few of you? By Rab Rabbi Harold Kushner. A lot of people have read that book. And plenty of mainline church pastors even endorsed it at the time. But if you're looking for biblical truth... And understanding about such questions, about why bad things happen to good people, I have to tell you, you won't find it in that book. R.C. Sproul, a great theologian and pastor, has humorously responded, if the publishers asked him to write a book on why bad things happen to good people, he could finish the book in two words. They don't. They don't. First of all, bad things don't happen to good people because there's no good people in the biblical sense of good. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Rabbi Kushner's book was written to deal with the apparent randomness of pain and suffering uh, uh, we all face in the world. His own son had just died of, of progeria, a disease that causes rapid premature aging uh, and early death. And the basic premise of his book is that bad things happen in this world not because God ordains them or because God has a plan but because God can't control creation. Or to say it another way, God is good according to Rabbi Kushner but he's not sovereign. And that's a lie. That's a lie. He is good and he is sovereign. Folks, the Bible tells us otherwise and teaches us several truths that always stand together. Life is hard but God is good. Life is unpredictable but God is sovereign. Life is unfair, but God is just. Life is short, but God is eternal. And these truths are not inconsistent, although admittedly we wrestle with thoughts like these. Why would God allow this or that to happen to me? We're tempted like that, aren't we, at times? But the story of Joseph is filled with narratives that enable us to put that question into a biblical framework. And if we have eyes to see, if we have ears to hear, if we have faith to believe, 
Because while the life of Joseph is filled with a series of unscripted, seemingly unpleasant, even cruel and unfair events, it also serves to show us God's sovereign hand working out all things for a breathtakingly good purpose in the end. It's amazing. It's easy to forget that through the, all the ups and downs of Joseph's life, there was this invisible hand of God working through every single event to produce the desired result, which Joseph himself couldn't see until he arrived at the end. And so while, many, while there are many important lessons to be gleaned from his life, above all else, let's not mistake that Joseph's story points us to the one true God. And if we read Joseph's story and we don't come away with a new appreciation for God's providence over all things, then we've missed the point. His story proves the words of another hymn writer, William Cowper, that said, God moves in a mysterious way, his wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. Deep in unfathomable minds of never failing skill, his tree treasures up his bright designs and works his sovereign will. Ye fearful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds you so much dread are big with mercy and shall break in blessings on your head. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. Let me ask you this morning, how big is your God? How big is your God? When you've been betrayed, maybe let down by flesh and blood, a small God won't do. When you've maybe been falsely accused of something, and somebody's just... Uh, not uh, is at odds with you about something. A medium God isn't enough to support you. When you've been hurt, when you feel forgotten or neglected, an average God will not sustain you. We need to know and have faith and trust in a big God, a God whose ways are beyond our understanding, a God whose purposes span the generations that can't be stopped by the sinful behavior of men. And I want you to know that you can know a God like that. The God of Joseph is also your God and my God. And time has not diminished either his love or his power that's available to you to help you in and through any circumstance. Well, you know, as Joseph's story begins, the, the threads of his life are scattered in all sorts of directions. And only later will the grand design become apparent. But it's clear that God has been preparing the way for Joseph long before he was born. But it would take quite a while for him to discover his calling in life. For the moment, he's 17 years old, working in the family business as a shepherd, without a clue about the events that were about to unfold in his life. In fact, if we asked Joseph about his career plans, he probably would have said, well, I'm going to be a shepherd like my father and my grandfather and my great-grandfather because after all, that's the family business. So we would expect Joseph to figure that his future would include sheep. But God had other plans. Before this story is over, Joseph will become the prime minister of Egypt. And no one, especially Joseph, would have imagined uh, that day when he went out with his brothers to tend the flocks that that would eventually be the outcome of his life. It was Mark Twain who once famously said, there's two great days in a person's life, the day we're born and the day we discover why we were born. One's easier than the other, of course. One's a date and time, like October the 4th or March the 29th or February the 12th or whatever. By the way, mine's January the 15th, if you want to remember it. Um, 
But it's a moment that we celebrate every year. Now, people say, you know, it's my birthday. Actually, it's not. It's the anniversary of their birthday. Think about that. That's just a little aside. <laughs> it's the date, you know, the date we made our first public appearance, put it like that. And that date is easy, but the other one isn't. It's probably not a literal date because it's the moment in a period of time when you finally get an idea or you figure out why you were put on planet Earth. It's the reason you join 7 billion other people on this terrestrial ball that's floating in space. The first day explains your presence on the earth. The second explains your purpose. And often it takes a long, long time to discover why you were born. Which is why over, over time we sometimes comment on that in others. We say, you know, she was born to be a mother. He was born to play football. She was born to be a singer. He was born to be a farmer. She was born to help the needy. He was born for politics. Anybody here? No? No. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 promises that if we will trust in the Lord, he will make our way straight. But how exactly does he do it? Well, there's several fundamental truths about God's guidance. He can put us exactly where he wants us to be just at the right time. He can arrange all the details of our lives well in advance of their time. He can take our choices and decisions and still fit them into his plan for us so that we end up in the right place just at the right time. He can open doors that otherwise might seem shut. He can take our mistakes and bring good out of them. He can even take the tragedies in life and use them for our good and for his glory. And that's what Proverbs 16 and 9, of course, means when it says, In his heart a man plans his course, but God determines his steps. So let me shock you this morning with an answer to the question, How do I discover God's will? You ever wondered about that? How do I discover God's will? The answer simply is, you can't. Now let that sink in. You can't. You can't discover God's will in the sense that it's more like a sunrise than a sunburst out of the darkness and chaos of life. God's will rises slowly over the horizon of our lives. It's not so much that we see the sun, but that by the sun we see everything else. And so it is with God's will. Or let me put it another way. Does God have a blueprint for your life? I believe he does. For yours and for mine. But there's only one copy. And it's locked up on the third floor of Heaven's Administration Building. And I don't know any way you can get a copy. And it's as true for us as it was for Joseph. That God's will is revealed to us a little bit at a time. Like the sun slowly rising. Or like a blueprint unrolling before our eyes. So how did God's will unfold for Joseph? Well, these chapters, Genesis 37 through 50, you know, are heroic, really, in their portrayal of a brave young believer trusting in God in the most challenging of situations, including the background of a dysfunctional family and a hostile pagan world. I'll be talking more about that tonight. At the beginning of Genesis 37, Joseph's out tending the flocks like his father had asked him with his brothers in Canaan. But by the end of the chapter, as we'll see tonight, he's a slave in Egypt. And his life appears to have taken what seems to be a massive turn in the wrong direction. But tonight, God willing, we'll, we'll look at how that came about. But let me conclude this morning with just a few things that we learn from this introduction 
This overview of Joseph that I believe can help us to overcome difficult circumstances and prevent us from becoming victims who give up or give in to every storm in life. First of all, we have to learn to acknowledge God's sovereignty. That's prime. Joseph believed in one simple truth. God is always in control of everything. He understood that every circumstance in his life happened either by the initiation or the permission of a loving God. He believed that God was for him not against him. And that conviction kept him going when nothing else made sense. We don't read in any way of, of Joseph, Joseph balking against what happened to him, uh, complaining about what happened to him. He, he just trusted God. So we have to learn to really trust in the sovereignty of God. But secondly, we have to learn to choose responsibility. During the Second World War, Viktor Frankl, Frankl was humiliated, tortured, dehumanized in Nazi prison camps and he made this discovery he said the last of all great human freedoms is to choose one's response to any given set of circumstances we have freedom to choose in any set of circumstances how we're going to regard that but the easier and more common and popular choice of many people is to use their difficult, their difficult circumstances as an excuse Sometimes for personal sin or dysfunctional patterns of behavior. You know, my parents were divorced. What do you expect? My father was an alcoholic. What do you expect? I was abused as a child. Poor me. Now, I'm not belittling any of those things that maybe some of you have gone through. Because awful things may have been done to some of us. And the consequences can be hard and they can linger for a long time. But we can't allow these things to become the launching pad for all kinds of our own ugly behaviors. And even sin. Joseph didn't let himself become a victim. He took responsibility for developing a new perspective on life. No matter what life brought to him. And we too as Christians have to learn to choose responsibility. And thirdly. And finally. We should learn to look for spiritual markers along the way of life. Because while God is always up to more than we can keep track of. He usually leaves clues to help us along the way. Remember, God often uses our trials to purify and to strengthen our character. So just as the metal used for precision parts and an aircraft undergo tremendous pressure and heat to purify and strengthen it, or gold is, is refined by fire in a, in a furnace to let all the dross come to the top so the gold is pure, so as Christians, we'll sometimes be subjected to the purifying pressure and strengthening heat of everyday trials and tribulations. And so, that's really the introduction to Joseph's life. And uh, I want to, uh, to close this message by asking you to watch a video song, a beautiful, beautiful song that reminds us of God's sovereignty. Reminds us that God, not for a moment, not for a moment, will he ever leave us or forsake us. And let me remind you, let me remind you that this book that we're looking at this morning and every Sunday and hopefully during the week as well, may be thousands of years old, but it's never irrelevant. It's always up to date. And what an encouragement it is for us to learn from a man like Joseph to look at his life story 
to look at the unforeseen and sometimes un unwelcome events that are threaded all the way through his story and to see within that even ourselves and the same ups and downs sometimes that come in life and glory be to God to see the same God who will not forsake us or abandon us not for a moment who is able to bring us through them all.